Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast with your host, Henry Grosek. Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosek. It gives me great pleasure to welcome for the first time to Viewpoints, Richard Dennis. Richard's a Chief Economist and former Executive Director of the Australia Institute. Dr Richard Dennis is a prominent Australian economist, author and public policy commentator and has spent the last 20 years moving between policy-focused roles in academia, federal politics and think tanks. He's also a lecturer in economics at the University of Newcastle and many other things. A book just published by Richard uh, by Melbourne University Press. It's out there for under $20. It's big, the role of the state in the modern economy. Uh, But firstly, welcome to Viewpoints, Richard Dennis. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Why did you write this book, Richard? Oh, because I like to talk about things that people don't want to talk about and <laughs> you know the it's the ultimate heresy in Australian economic debate and the ultimate heresy in Australian political debate uh, to simply ask the question is our public sector big enough to meet the challenges of the 21st century for decades we've just been told we just have to cut government spending and cut taxes and cut regulation and privatize things and it's just, you know, decades we've been told we don't have any choice. We have to do this. But, of course, that's not economics. Economics is all about choice. Uh, that's not international experience. There's plenty of countries with bigger public sectors than ours that have got far more productive economies than ours. So, uh, so yeah, in the lead up to an election, it just seemed like time to, um, yeah, uh, slay a few more sacred cows. Mm. The interesting thing about the lead-up to the election is that the Conservatives who are in power and generally talk up small government rather than big government have by because of a variety of factors possibly beyond their control, they've never spent more money uh, than they have in the past two years. Oh, far more, far mm. more, and because and, that's the other irony. While economics is supposed to be about choices, in Australia economics has been used to mm. say we have no choice, but then the one thing that was on the menu, small government, well, that's not actually what we've been served up. Um, so the coalition's been in office for nine years now, uh, despite all the rhetoric uh, of needing to shrink government, despite all the rhetoric of needing to be careful with every dollar, uh, they've actually managed to spend far more to grow the public sector, which I don't think is a problem in and of itself. But we, we kind of we believe we're too poor to implement the recommendations of the Aged Care Royal Commission. We believe we're too poor uh, to, you know, increase unemployment benefits. We believe we're too poor to give nurses a pay rise. And here we are spending billions of dollars on. Uh, locking up asylum seekers. We spend billions of dollars now on that little-known core government task of building car parks in suburban electorates. You you know, the government's actually grown quite significantly, but the rhetoric is still the same. We have to cut spending. Well, we don't have to. We can choose to. And even if we want to choose to cut spending, we still have to ask the democratic question, what should we spend less on? And mm. these are these are the conversations that I think if we're going to fix our, not just our economy, but if we're going to fix our democracy, these are the kind of questions we need to start having. Uh, these are the debates we need. Mm. So 
I guess this is partly a psychological and political question, Richard. Why the rhetoric in the direction of small government and reality shows that, generally speaking, it's big government? Uh, well, because it works. I mean, imagine if we imagine if we had a prime minister, regardless of who it was, um, uh, Scott Morrison, Malcolm Turnbull, uh, Kevin Rudd, Paul Keating. Imagine if one of them said, hey, Australia, good news. We're one of the richest countries in the world. We live at the richest point in world history. At the moment, we're also one of the lowest taxed countries in the world. We can literally afford to do anything we want. We can't afford to do everything we want, but we can afford to do anything we want. So how about we have a nice, big, juicy, democratic conversation about what do you want more of? What do you want less of? What do you want more government spending on? What are you willing to do without? We're rich. We never thought we'd be this rich. Let's let's just figure out what our path forward looks like. If we opened that up to a big, juicy, democratic debate, then God knows where we'd end up. We might end up taxing Gina Reinhart and paying nurses and aged care sector work as well. So you can see why powerful people would rather hang on to control over these decisions and rather than say, hey, we can do anything we want but not everything, instead what's happened in Australia, state and federal, Labor and Liberal, over decades, there's been this kind of agreed consensus that we're broke, we're poor, and if we don't cut spending even further, if we don't cut taxes even further, then bad things are going to happen and we won't be competitive and you'll all lose your jobs. So we've kind of created this false binary for people that if you want your kids to have jobs, you have to agree to us cutting spending on health and aged care. And, of course, as I just say to people all the time, Norway exists. Denmark exists. Sweden exports everything from Ikea to Volvos. They've got high wages and high taxes. So, yeah, we've kind of deliberately stymied public debate about important things so that those with much greater access to power than you and I don't have to win a debate about what kind of country they want. We just kind of tell everyone, if you don't follow my vision for the country, we'll all be ruined. Mm. It's, it's a good point you make, Richard. So, so, so in light of that, aren't the political parties, when they go to an election, actually shooting themselves in the foot a little bit? Because when they go there, they've got to come up with some new initiatives, which are very hard often to explain in terms of cutting taxes if they're going to increase public spending in some area to meet some need. It's almost self-defeating, that propaganda that you're talking about, about spending less money publicly. Oh, it's very hard to defeat. And and, and that, let's be clear, this is, it's taken decades, decades. My whole adult life has been exposed to this nonsense. Uh, so you can't blame Australian voters for over time thinking there must be some truth to this when – you know, every time they turn on the radio, there's some uh, self-appointed business leader or, you know, self-declared great economic manager for decades telling them if we don't cut wages, if we don't cut taxes, we'll be uncompetitive, we'll be a backwater, your life will not be a nice place unless you agree to cut taxes for people who aren't you and for us to spend less money on services for people like you. So, 
we've been kind of given this trade-off for decades and yeah let's let's be kind to each other let's be kind to ourselves people have taken it seriously but the internet's a wonderful thing it does exist anyone can go check that norway exists and sweden exists and that they collect a lot more tax than us they spend a lot more money on health and education than us public health and public education and and of course the beautiful thing is that they don't spend a cent on private health insurance they don't spend much money on private school fees uh, and they have great public transport um, and everything's okay. So, you know, again, I don't, I'm not, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't want to copy Germany. I don't want to copy Denmark. I don't want to copy Net- uh, Norway. But I do want to say to Australians, we can choose from a much broader menu than, than what's been put in front of us. And, and we might, maybe everyone's happy. Maybe maybe we've got it right. Maybe we do want fifteen billion dollars worth of tax cuts for high income earners and to to leave nurses' wages and aged care sector wages where they are. Maybe that's the Australia that we all want, or maybe not. Wouldn't it be good to ask? No, I wouldn't think it was. Uh, you talk about um, it's a very it's a very um, good good descriptor. Illustrative. The 2020 summer bushfires showed us we lack the resources to fight the climate-induced blazes we've fuelled, yet uh, rising tensions with China led our Prime Minister to say he'll spend whatever it takes to protect our country. It comes down ultimately, doesn't it, to a conversation about, and you've been saying this right through this interview, uh, what matters most in terms of what we want from our taxes. Absolutely. And again, there's no right answers here. Um you know, so Australia spends more on defence than Taiwan spends on defence. Now, Taiwan's got a population about the same size as Australia. Taiwan's about 200 miles from mainland China. Um, China actually makes overt territorial claims over Taiwan. And despite the fact that Australia spends more on defence than Taiwan, uh, surveys show that Australians are more worried about invasion than Taiwan. So, you know, again, this is up to us. We are allowed to spend $100 billion on nuclear submarines if we want. We are allowed to spend billions on Abrams tanks in case someone ugly who invades us and, and luckily for us they land near where we parked the tanks. Like, it's up to us. No one's going to stop us doing crazy stuff. But here we are as a society comfortably spending $100 billion or more on a new submarine purchase with, as you said, the Prime Minister saying now's not the time to squib about the price. But when we have a Royal Commission into aged care that says, boy, you need to spend a bit more money, well, we can't afford that. Or come to tackling climate change, oh, gee, that looks a bit expensive. But, of course, we spend $10 billion a year subsidising fossil fuels, but fear not, that creates jobs. So, you know, the, the whole the whole discourse around our economy is completely bereft of actual economics. But, you know, again, decades of people in very expensive suits sounding very authoritative have had a really big impact on, on, on the way Australians see these things. And when I point out that Norway makes a fortune taxing its oil uh, industry and its oil exports and Australia makes almost no tax uh, from taxing our gas exports, you know, it's heresy. What's, what's, we, we can't be like Norway. Well, we could be if we wanted to, but let's be clear, powerful people in Australia and the gas industry, one and the same thing, 
uh, don't want to be like Norway. So we've chosen a different path, and that path has consequences. So in writing the book Big, um, is that an appeal to uh, the consciousness of ordinary Australians to start uh, taking things seriously and have, if you like, a grassroots um, social, not military, revolution on these things? Or, or what are you possibly hoping for? I'm hoping to broaden our conversation. I mean, personally, like whether I'm wearing my professional economist hat on or my Richard the Citizen hat, uh, I think collecting more tax from things we're trying to discourage uh, and spending more money on on important things would be good. But, you know, there's no – I don't believe for a minute that, that I or any economist should tell Australia what we should do and what we should buy. But I, I feel very passionately that we should be able to have this conversation. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'd rather have uh, – I don't just want to have uh, bigger government in some spheres of my life. I want to have a bigger debate about that role of government. And just to be crystal clear, there's plenty of places where I'd like to see less government. Uh, I'm into freedom. I'm, I'm a libertarian. I, I'd, I'd love to see uh, freedom when it comes to – uh, voluntary euthanasia. I don't know why uh, the freedom campaigners that are out there at the moment uh, don't put that on their list, why the, why the people that deride uh, attempts to regulate the banks, you know, saying there's no room for red tape nanny statism in Australia, well, let's get the red tape and the nanny state out of the voluntary decision to end our lives. Um, so, yeah, there's no right answer to these things, but I think we need a bigger debate, a much bigger debate, a broader, more interesting debate about what do we want the government to do more of, what do we want the government to do less of, uh, where can we collect more tax if we want, where can we collect less tax if we want. There's no right answer to these things, but we've, we've kind of all been shamed into silence. So, so just looking back a, a short period of time in the last federal election, there's always many factors, um, personalities and perceptions of leaders comes into it among many other things. But in the last election, Bill Shorten certainly uh, was advocating some more taxes and he got shot down in flames and we're not seeing too much of that type of approach. In fact, I think the Labor Party, for one, have backed right away from that. Uh, does that give – firstly, what do you make of what happened then? And, and do you see that as a, um, a depressing feature in looking forward to the conversation you're trying to generate? Oh, I don't see it as depressing at all. I mean, we live in a democracy and I, for one, don't threaten to move to New Zealand every time uh, something <laughs> happens. Well, you know, really, like when, when things happen in elections, a lot of people who – pretend to support democracy, you know, have a bit of a tantrum. That's not me. Uh, so, yeah, look, at the last election, Bill Shorten took a number of, I think, good tax reform proposals to the electorate, uh, and he also took a number of very interesting spending proposals, including absolute 100% free cancer treatment and free childcare for families earning up to 60000 bucks. Uh, and the reality is he, he, he lost that election. Now, people talk a lot about the franking credits, people talk a lot about Adani and Cole, but, uh, and, and I wrote an essay about this just after the election. I think if a careful look at the data tells a much more interesting and much more confusing story. Um, uh, obviously, 
uh, Scott Morrison won unexpectedly, but by the slimmest of margins. And one of the reasons he won was he won two seats in northern Tasmania, Bass and Braddon. Now, these are two of the lowest income electorates in the country. And I know from the ATO data and the Australian Bureau of Statistics data, I, I know that not many people in the northern Tasmanian electorates of Bass and Braddon are getting much out of tax concessions for franking credits. I know that they're not getting a lot of benefit out of tax concessions for capital gains. And I know they would have got a lot of benefit from free childcare and free cancer treatment. But those two very low-income electorates uh, both swung to the coalition at the last election. Now, did those voters really know what was going on? Do they really know what policies were being proposed or were they responding to a scare campaign? I don't know. I, I wouldn't ever dare to speak for them. But you can't blame Labor or I can't blame Labor for uh, looking at the policies that lost them votes or apparently lost them votes at the last election and changing them. But regardless of what Labor takes to this election and regardless of the result of this election, we know that Peter Dutton wants to spend a lot more money on defence. Uh, we know that the Aged Care Royal Commission says we need to spend a lot more money on aged care. Uh, we know from places like the OECD that we need to spend a lot more money on childcare. And we know from things like the UNFCCC that we really need to start spending money to both uh, avoid climate change and adapt to it. So it doesn't matter what the problem is. Part of the solution is going to be bigger public spending. And while we can disagree with each other about whether the threat from China is greater or less than the threat from COVID is greater or less than the threat from climate change, no one disagrees that we've got some pretty big threats heading our way. And no one disagrees the public sector is going to play a big role in addressing them. But we've, we've, we've got a public debate where that's heresy to admit. Mm. What about the position that at the moment uh, all the surveys and indicators uh, and, and I think some of the modern day freedom fighters perhaps come from this direction is that the trust and confidence in our politicians and public institutions for whatever reason seems to be... Um, at a very low level. So these will be the people that will be entrusted with implementing these reforms. Um, from their perspective, give them more money, what are they going to do with it type of thing? Uh, is there some work to be done in build, rebuilding that trust? Well, there's an enormous amount of work if we want to rebuild that trust. Now, personally, I'd like to try and rebuild that trust. Personally, uh, I think that taking for granted that governments will spend our money well, will spend their money in the national interest, not in the interest of a particular electorate, is really important. Uh, that, that not just stamping out corruption, but being seen to try to stamp out corruption. I Personally, I think these things are in and of themselves desirable. But there's nothing in our constitution that says we have to be nice. There's nothing in our constitution that says we should rely on evidence when we make spending decisions. There's no mention of corruption in our constitution. So, yeah, look, if, if we want, if, if our elected representatives want to, as they increasingly do, look us all straight in the eye and say, of course I spend money on preferred electorates and not you. That's just how politics works, don't you know? If, if they're willing to do that, as Gladys Berejiklian did in New South Wales, she said it was naive to think she wouldn't put her party's political interests ahead of the state's interests. Uh, Scott Morrison's done the same thing. Um, if our leaders are going to say, 
of course I'm going to put me and my party first, then we shouldn't blame people <laughs> for losing trust in their democracy. No, but this is important. Like we can either collectively fight for it and try and win it back or we can accept that a growing number, a growing number of young Australians don't even think democracy is a terribly good idea anymore. And why should they? How often does it get praise? How often do our political leaders say, you know what, our democracy is really important and democracy is more important than me winning an election? That's how important it is. And I think that we as a nation need to aspire to this and this and these. So why should young people have faith in democracy and faith in the ability of government to solve their problems in Australia when for decades they've, they've not just seen house prices go through the roof, the cost of their university education go through the roof, uh, and, 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 and politicians yelling at each other and calling each other names all the time. But just because we might stuff it up doesn't mean government's broken. I mean, Germany doesn't just give free higher education to young Germans. It gives free higher education to anyone who happens to be in Germany, including temporary residents and refugees. So it's not, you know, like we might stuff it up. It's not inevitable that we will fix this mess. Uh, but we shouldn't kid ourselves that everyone else is as uh, comfortable with that as we seem to be. Good point. Time's got away from us, Richard, and we could talk forever, but I can only recommend that people go out and get your book, Big, The Role of the State in the Modern Economy. Melbourne University Press have published it. You can get it for nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, look, I commend you on 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 what you've done, and that is uh, want to raise our consciousness to the point of where we want to have conversations that are meaningful, Um and a degree of, uh, or if you like, uh, 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 perhaps a less emphasis on short-term political gain for whichever party we do, and, and you do it very well. I, uh, and it's great to see someone who's been around as long as you have to have that fire in the belly for some form of reform, <laughs> Richard. I, I think it's wonderful. Oh, I'm still fuelled by rage. Uh, I... <laughs> Oh, look, we, we're one of the richest countries in the world. We're living at the richest point in world history. And, and to, to, see, to see people dying of malnutrition in our aged care homes while we're handing out $9,000 a year tax cuts to high-income earners, uh, I think that's, that's, that's not for me. And uh, I'm not telling everyone else how to live their life, but I, I do think it's important we recognise we could fix those problems if we wanted to. Absolutely, and and your book's a good starting point. Uh, that was Richard Dennis, as I said. Um, Richard is a chief economist and former executive director of the Australia Institute, and Big is the book to get. You've been listening to the Viewpoints podcast, hosted by Henry Grossek and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts. 